Hey, this is Jason Hubbard, and I, along with my wife, are the lead pastors of One Life Church in Nampa, Idaho. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. We hope that it encourages you and motivates you to live for Christ. Enjoy this message. Are you guys ready for the word? Here we go. I, uh, I am going to make good use of short time here. Um, and everybody laughs at me as I don't go over the time. But uh, it's, I'm going to do my absolute best. Uh, Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word that is living and active. And Lord, we thank you that even through this series of the book of Romans, which you have done and what you've communicated to us, God, we're so grateful for it. And now, Father, we turn our hearts to the word of God. And we pray that it would be alive and active in us. It's sharper than, two other, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing joint and marrow and bringing truth and bringing uh, uh, just the truth of who you are to our lives. So we thank you for it. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, grab your, uh, grab your Bibles, notebooks, pens. You can text the word OLC notes to 94,000 and get those sent right to your phone where there's some blanks that you can fill in and then you can save it and look at it later, which would be fantastic because how many of you remember everything I say on Sunday? Wow, that's amazing. You guys are like my best friends. That's awesome. Um, for everybody that doesn't, uh, that's why we have notes. So there's, that's why those are there for you. Okay. I don't believe you guys remember everything I say. Don't fool me. <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, online, it's so good to have you with us and uh, glad that you're here joining from wherever you're at and uh, so grateful for technology to be able to have you join us in the room here. And um, so one more time, let's, I know we put our hands together a lot, but let's celebrate everybody who's joining online. So grateful for you here today. Okay, Romans 7, and I'm going to cheat and go into a little bit of Romans 8 today, uh, but I can do that because I'm the pastor. Um, so uh, Romans 7 and uh, the first part of Romans 8. Um, the last couple weeks have been awesome. Ellie has done a fantastic job of opening up Romans 5 and 6 to us and some things to think about and process. And as I was, as I was going through chapter 7 and preparing for today, um, there, there was something that... that really stuck out to me. And I remember uh, uh, getting about halfway through the week and just processing through all this and just saying, God, what do you want to say to your people through this chapter? Like, wh what is the thing that you want your people to know? And, and today, I want to take a little bit more of a pastoral approach and a heart approach to this chapter. Because yes, it's full of doctrine, and yes, it's full of, of truth, but the heart of God is actually expressed in it so beautifully. And what I want to do today is I want to walk through and hopefully impart into you the heart that God has for you. I want you to walk away with this greater knowledge and understanding of the love that God has for you. And the whole plan that has been put together of redemption and salvation since the beginning of time was all because he cares for you. He loves his kids. He would stop it at nothing to make sure that there could be a relationship between you and he. And, the, and so the heart of God is, is to come through this to communicate to us. And, and here's, here's the heart of God, right? This is, this is chapter seven, and this is where it all boils down to. God recognizes that everything that we've talked about, about death to the law, 
life and salvation, the old way that we lived, the new way that we're stepping into, being bound to sin and death and being free in eternal life because of the blood and because of the cross and the new covenant, God recognizes that in our life that that is a process. It is a process for us going from death to life. You don't wake up one day and go, the flesh is gone, sin is gone, and I am a perfect human being. If that was the case, that would be fantastic. But it's not. And it's in that that God's heart recognizes that it's a process. It's, it's a journey to get to this place where we experience the fullness of life. And it's this idea of this process that is woven into the new covenant. It's actually the point of the new covenant. The cross and, and, and this, this covenant of grace and what grace pours out and mercy pours out onto our life is all this thing that God set up for us to be able to grow in our faith of following him and looking more and more like him all the time while we still have this wrestle of the flesh and of sin. The, 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 the sad news is that your flesh will never go away. It's always going to be there. Like, like I, I, I remember thinking for a while, I'm like, one of these days, my flesh is going to be dead and I don't even have to worry about it anymore. And then the very next day, I realized that that was not true. It is a process. We will, that will always be the wrestle. Why? Because like Paul's talking about in this chapter, there's two things that war in us. There's our heart and our spirit and our mind that is being renewed and pulled to the things of God and our flesh that is being pulled to death. And both of those things are waging war inside of us all the time. And it's in this place that God comes and says, now I'm gonna provide a way for you to be free and to grow. And I'm gonna give you the power to be able to do that at the same time. Now, a couple things about the law, because this is going to set up this some understanding. And, and some of this is a little bit of review, but, but it, I think it's really good for us to understand. Because um, as we read Romans and the Pauline epistles, I think sometimes there can be a little bit of a tendency that we look at the law, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, the Levitical law, all of those rules, and we go, they're bad. And we, we, we want to stay far away from those as we can. Now, the first thing I want us to understand and just wrap our head around is the law is perfect. The law is good. This is actually what Paul says, that the, there's nothing wrong with the law. In fact, this is what's so cool. If you read the law, if you read the Mosaic law in Exodus and then you go into Leviticus and you read some of these passages, you know what I find as I read through them? Not a bunch of laws and rules that I have to follow or else. I see the perfection of God. Think about it for a second. The standard that God holds, who he is able to be that we could never be. Perfect. The law is perfect. It's beautiful. And when you look through and you go, the fact that God, there is no weakness, there is no sin, there is no fault in who God is. The law gives us a picture of that. It gives us a picture of who God is. It reveals that. It shows the will of God. It shows his, his goodness. It lays all of these things out in it. 
So when we look at the law, we shouldn't look at it as like, oh, it's keeping us bound in, in sin and death and all this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. The law doesn't do that. There's this other little messed up piece that does that we're going to talk about. What the law's purpose was, was to expose sin and to condemn the sinner. The law exposed and condemned. Very simple, right? The law wasn't out to get anybody. It just was simply stating, this is what God says, and if you don't follow it, here's the consequences. The law was not out to get you and hurt you. The law was to reveal in you the imperfections and the unfaithfulness that we have towards God. So this is what the law was there, right? Now, now here's, here's why this is so important for us to then understand where God and what God is doing in the fulfillment of the law. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus came and didn't get rid of the law. He just fulfilled the law. And in the fulfillment of the law, there was also the validation of the law. The law is good and was meant to be fulfilled through Jesus, right? And so this is what happens now. But here, the law on its own in our lives, because of this little ingredient that I'm going to get to, in Galatians 3, it says this, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a what? Curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Over 16, 613 laws that were meant to be followed. Well, I think I have a hard time just obeying the traffic laws. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm the only one in here who has a problem with that. You know, when your kids hit a certain age, they, uh, they actually will sit in the back seat and go, Dad, what's the speed limit? Oh, it's 65. Dad, why are you going 80? Quiet, get behind me, Satan. Like, shh, be, be quiet. I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, you know? doesn't work when a police officer pulls you over though. Um, so what's this curse? What's this curse that's talked about? It's the fact that with the law, sin twisted the law and it uses it and exploits the law to keep us bound into death. This is what happened. The law in its perfection and its beauty and laying out who God is, just this beautiful thing that the law did, sin said, yeah, now I'm gonna mess it up and I'm gonna twist the truth just a little bit so that you stay bound to it and don't live in the freedom that God has for you. And so it comes and it starts to bind us in this thing. And this is what Romans 7 and 7 and 8 says. This is, this is, he clarifies this. What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not know that I would have not have known that to covet if the law had not said don't covet. I wouldn't have known that that's a sin. And sin, here's the key, seizing an opportunity through the command produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. If further on, it says it again in verse 11. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the law, through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Not the law, but what sin did to it. I really don't like sin very much. Kind of just messes the whole thing up. Just kind of just messed up. 
The thing I recognize about what sin has done to the law is the very same thing that he does, that sin does and Satan does in our lives today. Because what does Satan do? He comes and he twists the truth just a little bit to get you to believe something that's ultimately a lie. And so you see this all the time, right? Something that seems like just a little like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's more of a, it's more of a preference, right? And we start going down this line and before long, it leads us to this place that is far from the truth. We have to be very, very aware. And this is what Paul writes. We have to be very aware of the techniques and the tactics of the enemy in our life to be aware of how he twists the truth, the truth. We see it in this, that even something as beautiful as a law is taken and twisted and churned and changed. Why? Because of sin. Because I, I, the enemy just does not like you. Like you are not on his friends list. And he's out to get you in every way he can. So what's he going to do? He's going to pollute and destroy something that is beautiful to get you bound into sin and death. Now, the other thing we understand about the law is the law was merciless. It was merciless. This is what I mean by this. The law was black and white. You do this, this is what happens. There wasn't like, you do this, and then we can talk about, you know, what happens after that. Like, there's none of that. There was no, there was, it was merciless. It was, it was emphatic. It was, this is the way it is, right? And that's not a bad thing. That's the point of the law. I'm actually very thankful that when somebody comes and robs my house, that there's not a law that's like, well, I mean, you robbed his house, but... I don't know. Was it really robbing? I mean, what really is robbing? No, I'm thankful that there's actually a law that says that, right? The law is merciless because that, that was his point. Now, it is in this inability to obey the law that the heart of God comes and is revealed to us. The heart of God was established back at creation. The plan for salvation, the plan for the cross, the plan for the new covenant was already set up but it is revealed to us in Christ Jesus and the heart of God comes to pour this out on us. And this is the beauty of it. Unlike the law, Jesus came to this earth not to condemn the world, but to save it. What did the law do? Condemned. What does Jesus do? Save. We all know the verse, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Keep reading. 17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. So this is the power of faith. We've been talking about faith all this way through, the faith that we have in Jesus, the faith that we have in trusting in him. Jesus came so that we could be free from that and so that we could live in new life with him. He came to save, not to condemn you, but to save you. Now, I wanna get geeky and, and nerdy for just a second here. Paul uses at the first six verses of Romans 7, he talks about marriage. He talks about the marriage covenant, right? If you've read it, you know this. And in these verses, he says that in marriage, a man and a wife are committed to each other until one of the spouses dies. And at that point, the other spouse is free to remarry again. 
If the person marries another spouse while the other spouse is living, it's considered adultery. But if there is a death, there is a free from that, and there's the ability to join to somebody else. Now, Paul uses this for a very specific reason. This isn't an arbitrary example that he uses. This is why. The old covenant, this marriage covenant that existed, required there to be a death in order for there to be a freedom from that law. Now, with us, was there a death? Jesus. Now get this, this is what'll just mess your mind up and it'll give you something to chew on for just a little bit. Jesus died so that we were free from the law. Free, completely free. He, he was the one who actually made sure that the marriage covenant that was with the law was nullified. He died so we could be free to what? Join with him in a new covenant. Let your head wrap around that one for a second. It's, it's you know, mind-boggling. But the power of it is, he was the one who said, listen, I'm going to sacrifice myself so that there can be a separation from the law that allows you to enter into this new relationship and this new covenant with God. How cool is that? You have to be free from the law, and there's only one way to do that, so I'm going to do that for you so that you then have the freedom to go and to have new life in Christ. Okay, that's really cool. That's really, really cool, right? God's desire is that none would be lost. And this is, this is the process of this, right? Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. And he wanted to allow there to be this opportunity for us to transition from death to life that takes a, a, a process to be able to get there. God knew that, provided for that. Why? Because he is slow in anger and full of abounding love and faithfulness. Second Peter actually says this, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, want, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. His heart is that every single one of us would come to this moment of repentance, of putting our faith in Jesus and going on this journey of walking from death to life. And so what did he do? He came and he said, listen, I'm going to make a way for you guys to be able to do this. And I'm going to take care of all the heavy lifting myself. Now, here's the key then with the establishment of the new covenant. This is the key of everything I'm saying today. The key difference between the Mosaic covenant and the new covenant is the use of mercy. And I say it that way because... <laughs> In as much as the, the sin through the law condemned us, God actually, it was an act of mercy that he provided the law yes. to save his people from just being completely obliterated. Yes. It was actually his mercy that brought the law. Yes. Now in the new covenant, mercy's still there, but it looks a little bit different. Two things at play in this new covenant that Jesus has made a way for. One, mercy. Mercy is God holding back what we deserve. How many of you are thankful that God held back what you deserved? I tell you what, right now, if I think about everything that I've done in my life, if you think about everything you've done in your life and you're like, oh my goodness, thank you for the mercy of the Father, right? The mercy. Romans 6 says this, for the wages of sin is death. So what do we deserve? 
death. Our sin brings death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So mercy. God in this new covenant brings mercy. And then he also brings grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy withholds what we deserve. Grace gives what we don't deserve. You don't deserve grace. I don't deserve grace. We have all been unfaithful to the Lord, but he gives it. He still gives this. Why? Because he sees that we are in a process and he provides what we need in order for that growth to take place. Mercy and grace. He realizes we're not perfect. He realizes that we have good days and bad days, but we are on a journey of learning what it means to be more closely connected with him every single day. And so he provides this mercy and this grace. Now, because those things have been provided, we need to make sure of something very important. Mercy and grace do not excuse sin. Whenever we start talking mercy and grace, it gets real funky because it's like, oh, grace, I can do whatever I want. Eh. Sorry. Mercy and grace don't excuse that, but it provides something else. We have to be really careful that we don't abuse or misuse mercy and grace in our understanding. We have to make sure that we have a clear understanding of why there is mercy and grace and what that does in our lives. What the desire of that is in our lives that God actually wants to see take place. Romans 2 says this, that this, this long suffering, this patience of the Lord, do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? The mercy and the grace is not to give you to permission to keep, continue to sinning. It, I'm going to back that up again. It doesn't give you permission to continue to sin, willfully sinning over and over and over again. No, 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 no. His kindness and his mercy and his grace is intended to lead you to him in repentance. Let us not get this messed up. There, there, there's too much teaching out there that negates our responsibility to continue to pursue God. He's provided the mercy and the grace. He's made a way for us to live in this new covenant. But let's understand what it is and understand, make sure that we understand what it isn't. Like I said before, mercy isn't permission to sin, but applies, now I chose this wording really carefully. It applies grace to grow. This is what mercy and grace are all for. For you to be able to grow, to, to mature, to become more and more into the likeness of Christ, to go on this journey of faith where we are transformed, we are changed from glory to glory, as, as Corinthians talks about. This is what this is for. So because mercy and grace are for the purpose of us growing, what do we need to look for in our lives? Growth. What shows growth? Fruit. So if there's ever a question mark of, am, am I extorting the grace and the mercy of God? I need to look at the fruit of my life. 
If I'm living a lifestyle where I continue to sin, and as Roman 1's talked about, not only just sinning, but actually coming to a place where I approve of that sin in somebody else, well, then mercy and grace has not had the effect in me that it needs to. But if I understand that the reason that God has extended those things is in order for me to grow and to change and be transformed by the renewing of my mind, and I'm starting to see, even if it's little steps, even if in our lives we realize that, man, there's some days I might take two steps forward in the things of God and following God and seeing the transformation that takes place, but the very next day I might take one step back. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit right there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we have to understand this, this process, this growth. Romans 7, 4 through 6 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you also were put to death in relationship to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. There it is, bearing fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now... We have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. So what is the desire for us to learn what it means to serve in the newness of the spirit and not the letter of the law? But that looks like growth in our lives. We should continually be changing transforming, work in our lives, things that look different. There should be something recognizable in us that when someone looks, they go, you're different than you were before. And it looks really good. And, and I want to know why. There, there should be that. Again, you're not working so that you can just show that on an outward side. That's not what I'm saying. Well, if I just do enough good things, if I just change the way I live my life, then people will be like, oh, wow, you're a Christian. No, it's letting the spirit transform us where what happens on the outside is a natural effect of what happens on the inside. It's the order of things that we got to get right, you guys. And here's the cool thing is you can tell a million miles away somebody who is living a life that is transformed from the inside out versus someone who's just trying to live and manage and do all the right things and not just get in trouble. You can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. The hope is my prayer for us is in, in our lives is that we would come to a place where we would be able to just naturally exude what God is doing inside of us. And, and I want to really encourage us as a church. I want to encourage you. I see this happening everywhere. I talk to our leadership team. And as I look and as I, as I engage with different ones of you in conversation, there, there is something beautiful that is taking place. There's a transformation. There's fruit that's coming. That there's an outward visible sign of something that is happening inward in hearts. And I want to tell you as a pastor that that is so cool to see. I love, I love seeing the genuine fruit of lives changed by the power of God that are beginning to live for him. It's amazing. So good job. <laughs> Keep it up. Don't mess it up. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's the whole point. Yeah, let's just joke. All right. 
So we're being changed continually from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3 says this, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Glory to glory, glory to glory. Now, here's what's so cool. God not only wanted us to be free of the law, he was the, Jesus was the sacrifice so that we could be free from the law. And then he applies mercy and grace to our life in order for us to grow more in the likeness of Christ, to grow in our faith, to grow in our walk. But then he goes even further to provide the final peace because he recognizes we can't do it on our own. Listen to Paul. This is actually one of my favorite passages of the Bible. I just laugh every time, okay? Romans 7, 18 through 24. For I know that nothing good, you can put it up, next one. There we go. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, I am no longer the one who does it, but it's the sin within me. So if I discover this law, when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law at work of the parts of my body, waging war against my mind, the law of my mind, and taking me prisoner in the law of self and the parts of my body. What a wretched man am I! I read that passage all the time, and what it, shares, what, it, what it says so clearly is there is a war, there is a wrestle, there is something that we're supposed to do that we have no way to attain in our own natural strength. So here's the beauty of the whole thing, is Jesus came to free us from the law, to bring about grace and mercy, and then give the power we need to live that new life. You guys, he thought of everything. I mean, he didn't leave anything undone. So then we go to the ver uh, chapter eight, verse one and two. This is where I cheat. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the what? Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Come on. So what sets you free? The spirit. The spirit. The spirit is what empowers you and empowers the grace to grow. It's not in your own natural understanding. It's not in your own natural ability to be able to just power through. Great, I'm free from the law. Yay, and there's mercy and there's grace. Yay, now I can, just, I can just pull up my bootstraps and do it. No, I'm sorry, you still fail. You need the spirit of God in you to empower you to be able to live in that grace. He thought of everything. Guys, this is so cool. This is what a spirit-filled life is like. It's a life that, where the Spirit empowers us to live for him. Where we're not doing it on our own. We're not coming up on our, on our own things or out of our own strength or understanding. But it's the Spirit that's at work inside of us. I tell you what, I have a lot more hope about my day if I wake up knowing that the Spirit is the one empowering me to live that day for Christ than it is me trying to do it on my own. I start a day, and if I, if I go down, and I, my, my morning time just starts with, God... You know how messed up I am. 
And I need the spirit of life of Jesus Christ in me today. And then in 30 minutes, when my flesh decides to wake up, I have another prayer that way. And then I get in my car and I have another prayer that way, right? It's an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us to continue to live for him. Old Testament, all of the Old Testament prophets all spoke of this this new covenant. They all spoke to the new covenant and the power of the spirit that was going to be at work inside of us. Ezekiel 36 says this. This is such a cool passage. Starting in verse 25. I will also, this is God speaking over us. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I mean, you're just thankful for that right there. Like I'll take that one phrase, right? I will cleanse you from your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a what? New spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. So even back then, what's the promise? Yeah, you're going to be free from the law. Yeah, the law is going to be fulfilled in Jesus. And yeah, there's going to be a season of grace and mercy in your life that allows you to be able to grow into the person you are in Christ. And by the way, you're going to have the spirit of life inside of you that helps you to be able to do it. This is what's so cool about this passage. Seven and eight, they just work so well together. Now, now here's where many, many Christians miss it. Many Christians can settle with a self-help Christianity that if it's just, I, I know the principles now and I just have to live out the principles. The problem is that there isn't a way to actually do that without the Spirit. I'm telling you, I believe it. There's not, even just the simple principles of the Bible need the Holy Spirit to be able to power you to do them. Right? So we need this at work in us. Living by the Spirit is a process. It's a process. Again, God knows this, the heart of God. It's a process going from death to life, going from this transformation that takes place. He knows and he's applied these things. And so learning how to live Spirit-filled is a process. The end of 2 Corinthians 3.18 that I didn't read says simply this, that the ability to change from glory to glory is from the Lord who is Spirit. The Lord who is Spirit empowers you to do this. Here's where we're going next week, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap up because I got down on time. Um, you guys don't even laugh anymore. All right, fine. <laughs> Here's, here's, where, here's where it comes down to. We need, we need, we need, we need a daily infilling of the Holy Spirit. We cannot get by with just some momentary thing that just happens every once in a while. We need the filling of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. This is what I recognize too is, um, you, and, and uh, uh, there's a pastor at uh, Life Church that talked about this once. And uh, he, he was saying this, that you automatically wake up every day in the flesh. You don't even have to think about it. And the flesh is just active. How many ever woke up in the morning and you can definitely tell your flesh is awake? And good morning, flesh. The flesh is always there. We have to invite the Holy Spirit 
into our lives. We have to invite him in. I want to invite Christy to come up. I know I messed up my note. She was waiting for my cue and I didn't give it. So just making it easy. But here's, here, here's the thing that I, this is where we're going with this. Do you, do you guys understand what I'm saying? How this whole thing works? Okay. So now that we understand that Jesus was the one that freed us from the law, that God applied mercy and grace for us to be able to grow, not to stay where we're at, but to grow. And then he gave us the spirit to actually be able to do that. Next week, as we step into Romans 8, it's about what it looks like to live a true spirit-filled life in a way that God intended for us to live a spirit-filled life. Because there's some beautiful things in place that God has said, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Now, today I realize too, as we, as we bring this service to a close, I want to give an opportunity because uh, everything that I've talked about here all stems and centers around one thing. That when Jesus came, died on the cross, he fulfilled, he fulfilled the Old Testament law and created and, and, and ushered in a new covenant with him. Where on this side of the cross, what we are invited to do is to make a decision that puts our faith in the sacrifice Jesus made, in the shed blood of Jesus. Everything that Paul talks about on this journey of faith begins with a moment of faith. It is a moment where we recognize I've tried to do all the right stuff. I've had a laundry list of all the things that I'm supposed to do, the right things, and I, I fall short every single time. And, and, and my life is just full of this war of the desire to do good, but, but being pulled into what's wrong and, and all of this stuff. And I'm just, I'm trapped and I'm wrestled in this moment. The thing is that when you put your faith in Jesus, everything of your life that is out of alignment is forgiven, is washed, is cleansed. Does not mean that in this moment of putting your faith in Jesus that your life is fixed. <laughs> That's why it's a journey. Welcome to the club. But it begins by saying, God, I have not done a good job with this. I, 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 can't, I can't do this. I can't live perfect according to every 613 laws that were there. I can't do it. And I'm living under a curse because I can't fulfill all 613 laws. Putting our faith in Jesus says, I believe you fulfilled the law and my faith is in you as my savior. Not in the law, but in you. If you're here today and you've never had the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus, I wanna give you that opportunity today. The way it starts is just a simple prayer. And, and, and again, there's nothing, there's nothing magical about the prayer other than it's the combination of what your heart believes and what your mouth declares. And when you pray a prayer, you begin a process of putting your faith in Jesus. And that moment of faith leads to a life of faith where now grace and mercy is applied for us to be able to grow into who he has us to be. But it begins with this moment. Today, if you're here and you have never put your faith in Jesus and you want to take that opportunity to put your faith in him, to receive his forgiveness, to make him the Lord of your life. As we pray this prayer, I want you to believe it with faith in you, a belief that he really did fulfill the law and he really did die for your sins so that they could all be forgiven. 
and believe it. And we're all gonna say this prayer together because we're all a family. And I think it's a great reminder for all of us all the time of the saving power of Jesus in the cross. Same thing, same reason we do communion, right? So I'd invite all of you to just close your eyes in this moment so that we can pray this out. Repeat this after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I declare that you are my savior, that you fulfilled the law and you brought forgiveness for all my sins. And today I put my faith in you as my Lord and savior. You are my God, you are my King. My life is secure in you. Thank you for a fresh life, for a new life, that I am washed clean of all my sin today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Powerful thing that we just did. Um, if you pray this prayer here today for the very first time, I just want to say, welcome home. Welcome to the family. Welcome to this place of now beginning on this relationship. Come on, we can put our hands together for those online or in the room.